about a month ago, Gail and I were at a restaurant. I, I don't know what happened to humor, but it happened, I think, about, uh, what, how long ago? Maybe 10, 15 years ago. Uh, maybe with all in the family that came around, and then uh, uh, who, who? What's the comedian's name? Is Mister Mr. Warmth? Uh, Don Rickles. Uh, seemed like that sort of started a national trend of uh, of wit, and that it's good to be witty, witty in that way, and it certainly is entertaining to watch it on a stage, but somehow it got from the stage into everyday life, as you know. <laughs> and uh, so we sat down with this real nice couple, some old, old friends of ours, and we got a witty waiter. <laughs> and I couldn't open my mouth. I, whatever I said uh, was a takeoff. He was prepared. He had some... <laughs> some uh, line, um, and somehow it, it seemed to everyone at the table and to me also that he had passed beyond even wit to just outright bloody assault, you know. Uh, so the thought that occurred to me was, you will not go home until you learn to be at peace in situations like this. <laughs> and I want you to say that sentence. Let me repeat it to you. I will not go home until I can be happy in this kind of situation. I will not go home until I can be happy in this kind of situation. We've talked a great deal at the dispensable church of avoiding things that you can avoid, eliminating anything that calls to your ego. This, of course, does not mean that you create some sort of list of unpeaceful activities because that is a judgment. You simply see what calls to your ego. What is it that makes you lose your peace become anxious or jealous or angry or whatever at this time, because the, even that will not remain the same. But at this time, you have a sense of possibly what store it would be best that you not do your shopping in or what activity you not engage in or what conversations you not get involved in at a party or whatever the thing may be. And so that is sort of your temporary list, but it doesn't mean that it's a bad activity, and it doesn't mean that anyone else would find the effect to be the same as yours. It is very important to understand, although this is absolutely essential, that we simplify our lives, that we see what the stimuli are that call to our ego and eliminate every single one of them that we can, Every one of them, whether it is involved with food or how messy our house is or how much sleep we get at night or anything. It is very important to see that you will not eliminate all of the world and that there will be certain things that will come up, such as having to pay your taxes, 
It's that time of year again, isn't it? You will not awaken in God until you learn to make out your W-2 form or whatever the thing is that you're working on at the moment happily and at peace. It is that simple. You simply won't do it. You won't go home until you learn to... Oh, I'll have to tell you. The Gail is not... You you saw the aura, didn't you? So we're talking about the old Gail. The old Gail. And the old Hugh, of course. But in the old days. Because Gail and I have been married 18 years. In the very old days... uh, we used to have arguments. <laughs> and you get to know the other person's ego well, quickly. <clears throat> and this is, you see, people think they don't know how to make their spouse happy. I don't, and they're always surprised. They're just shocked that they can't make their spouse happy. But you know how to make your spouse angry, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> You know how to drive them up the wall. Now, how is it that that knowledge suddenly deserts you when you remember that Hugh said, use that knowledge to make your spouse happy? (gasps) You just don't know what to do, and it's all so confusing to you suddenly. (laughs) And you try something, and the, the response is not what you expected. But in an argument, you get exact, precise results, don't you? I don't know what we're arguing about. That's always the case, isn't it? You look back and you never remember what you're arguing about. You just remember what happened. That shows you how important the argument was. We could just remember that. These things are so silly that we argue about and get caught up in. But we'd had an argument. And we had a, a dish of baked broccoli in the refrigerator. And Gail, to make her point once and for all, <laughs> got out the dish of baked broccoli and liberally, it was one of these cheese and cream things, you know. No, we don't eat that way anymore, people. I just, nuts and fruits, you know. Water with lemon juice, that's, that's all. <clears throat> and she sprinkled the broccoli all over the kitchen floor. Have you noticed how many arguments take place in kitchens? Now, why would she do that? Because she knew my ego so well that I could not stand to have that on the floor. (laughs) And so I would clean it up before she would. (laughs) There was no doubt about that. I let it stay there as long as I could, but... (laughs) You will not know God. You will not know your Father until you can clean up spills in peace. It is that simple. You will not know God. You will not know perfect, absolute, unending welcome until you can get your children ready in peace. How many people here have children that they have to get ready all right, or you've had children that you had to get ready. This is one of the great scenes of turmoil throughout the world, getting the child ready. <laughs> children don't understand 
getting ready. They don't understand why you have to leave right now. Why can't we play with this or play with that? Because they just thought of it suddenly. It doesn't matter whether it's shopping or flossing your teeth. I was in a dentist's office recently, and the hygienist and the dentist were arguing about whether or not, they weren't arguing about each other. They were giving me their patients, their separate views on whether or not you flossed before or after you brushed. And each had a very, a shining argument in their defense, you see. <laughs> so it doesn't matter whether we, it's flossing or what it is. It doesn't matter if it's the same old argument. It doesn't matter if it's the same old backbiting at the office. It doesn't matter if it's uh, going home for Christmas. It doesn't matter what it is. If it's something that you cannot easily eliminate or walk around in your life, then it is the kind of situation that you must learn to be happy in because your happiness does not depend upon the world. <coughs> you must begin developing a sense of what it means to be happy all of the time. What does it mean to have the Christ mind? Let that mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, says the Bible. Let it be in you. What does that mean, to have the Christ mind? What does it mean to be so at peace, to, so, to be so strong in your willingness to forgive that the world becomes harmless before that strength. What if your peace were so strong that it didn't matter what they were out of at the store or what the traffic conditions were or what the season of the year was or whether it's raining too much or too little or whether or not your friends betray. Or your kid grows pimples. And it's oh so embarrassing. Begin now to develop that kind of sense. What would it mean if it were true that you were never in the world? You were one with Christ. You are hid with Christ in God. You are one with your Father. What would it mean if you merely dreamed that you were this body walking the earth for a miserable and short time? What would it mean? You would not hate the world. You would not run from it. You would not denounce it. You would not try to change it even. because you would feel the presence of God and you would have the peace of God and you would look on it as innocently as you would a nightmare of a child. That's what you must do now. You must begin having this sense. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. 
I am because thou art. That has to become more than just words in your mouth. Begin developing a sense of home, a sense of where you are, a sense of what resides within you, a sense of your strength and of your peace. Do not wait. Staying in the world, being chewed up by the world and all the things we think are important is merely waiting one more time and one more time and one more time. Next time I'll tackle this, but now I'm going to be angry. Now I'm going to be depressed. Now I'm going to be confused. Do not be confused. You don't have to be confused any more than you have to be discouraged. It is not necessary to be confused. You know the truth. All of you have heard the truth over and over and over. How many books of truth have you read? How many speakers who have come to town have you listened to have told you the truth? You have a sense of the truth. You are not confused. Don't be confused. Do it now in this situation. Whatever the situation. Now's the time to be gentle and peaceful and happy. And develop the tools that you need to get yourself out of trouble. Now, this is so important, people. So many of you are still casting about, looking for better and better tools, better and better techniques. You're scattered. You want a few tools your tools will become fewer and fewer. That prayer that I said earlier and that I've said so often, as I've told you before, was a prayer that I heard a Christian science practitioner say. And it was about the only thing she would ever say. I've told you this story several times. Mrs. Fulton, I don't even know what her first name was. Everybody called her Mrs. Fulton lived in a small room in the Melrose Hotel in Dallas, Texas. The only time anybody saw her was on uh, Sunday. She'd walk with her sister to church and she'd walk back to her room. She was a very wealthy woman because she had healed so many people that they had left her their money. She didn't spend any of it. Just stayed in her room. Now as a young boy, full of metaphysical questions, and I would go to Mrs. Fulton. My metaphysical questions or my latest physical trauma. I was breaking my leg all the time or something like that. She healed quickly and easily. She healed me twice of a broken leg. Once I was kicked by a horse and another time I fell down while I was doing construction work. So happens in both cases an x-ray was taken 20 minutes after I called Mrs. Fulton. An x-ray had been taken before. I called Mrs. Fulton, and the x-ray was taken about 20 minutes later. And in both cases, there was no break shown on the x-ray. And I never found another Christian science practitioner who could do that, and I searched and I searched and I searched all my life, and that's not nothing against Christian science. But Mrs. Fulton didn't do it like other people, I noticed. Because I'd gone, and all of us have gone to healers, haven't we? I would go see Mrs. Fulton, 
And I'd sit down in our little room. She had this little room and go back in there. She'd just close her eyes. And if she said anything, it was that prayer. I am one with thee, O thou infinite one. I am where thou art. I am what thou art. I am because thou art. And then she'd be silent again. It didn't matter if I'd given her some great philosophical question. She'd handle it the same way. I was healed of the question. Have you ever been healed of a question? <clears throat> I couldn't even remember what the question was. <laughs> there are no questions in God. And so when we draw close to God, our questions evaporate like so much smog before a brilliant sun and a fresh, cooling breeze. That's what happens. She had, by that time, one tool, as far as I could tell. She closed her eyes, and she prayed. And she prayed a prayer of oneness, not a prayer of change. There is no change in that prayer. Nothing is being changed. Nothing is being singled out as wrong. She's just uniting with God. And I know that many of you are experiencing the same thing I am that your tools are becoming fewer and fewer. All you need now is just a deep meditation in the afternoon and your day is healed and you're back on track. All you need is just to start the day in peace and set your purpose. Just a few tools. The basic one that I have, and I'm not recommending this as your basic one, but it's just invaluable to me, is to break with the situation. If you see that the thing is not going well, if you're in a state, break with the situation. Pull the car over the side of the road. Go into the restroom. Give yourself some time and go deep into your heart. That tool is I just, it's just precious. It's worth more to me than any jewel or any statement in a bank account or anything else. I cannot tell you how valuable that one tool is. And yet, I was talking to someone who's been attending the dispensable church from the first service. And this person is not unique. This applies to, I bet 90% of the people here, 90% of the people here would say the same thing. And this woman got in trouble. Her day was not going well. And we were talking about it. And I said, well, did you break with the situation? Oh, oh, I forgot. Oh, that's right. I, I, I should have done that, shouldn't I? People, this cannot be a concept. This cannot be an idea. Your father is there. Help is with you. How can you forget to turn to God? How can you forget to turn your eyes away from the world? This cannot be some little idea that you have in your mind. You must, this must become part of you. It must be instinctive. That as soon as you get in trouble, you ask for help in whatever way it comes to you to do it. 
But you've got to devote your attention to it. You can't do two things at once. You can't continue to, to, to deal with the situation. Mrs. Fulton did go into her room. She did close her eyes, and she did say some words every once in a while to herself. There are probably some people who have gotten to the point. They're so close now to leaving this world. Their ego is so weak now that the body cannot be sustained that they probably don't even have to close their eyes or pause. But who in this room is at that point? That's a tool. Use it. Have it. Make it part of you. Just as getting up in the morning and setting your purpose. This is absolutely essential. How can you go through the day in peace if you don't know what you're living for? You see, at night we have all these crazy dreams. Have you noticed that? <laughs> we have all these crazy dreams. All these conflicted purposes. And so when you wake up in the morning, your purpose has already been reset for you. It was set for you during the night with all this stuff. The purpose was multiple purposes. That's the ego's purpose. Multiple purposes. A different purpose for every activity. Every five minutes changing our purpose, changing our goal, changing what we want. Notice how often you change what you want as you go through the day. Constantly. Now that's the way you wake up in the morning because that's the dream state. And we haven't gotten to the point where we can stay in Christ all night long. Although some of you are beginning to experience this a little bit. So that you're just sort of watching your dreams. Knowing that you aren't dreaming. That you're resting in God's arms. But most of us are not at that point. I'm not at that point. Sometimes I have a lovely sense of peace all night long, but most of the times I don't. And so my purpose is already set by the time I get up in the morning. Multiple purposes, chaos, confusion. And that's the way the day is going to be. Or if it's not going to be that way, it's going to take tremendous effort for me to get back to that place. And so, of course, when I get up in the morning and it takes, it takes a real effort I have got to go from this crazy sort of mixed up dream state to a clear single purpose of the heart. And that takes an effort. And I've got to say to myself, why am I here? What am I doing here? This morning I woke up. We're uh, getting our house ready for sale, which means jacking up the price. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I mean. You know, suddenly you do all these things that you haven't done for 10 years. And why are you doing them? So someone will pay more money on the house. <laughs> because you lived all these years, you know, you didn't do these things. But suddenly you, you start looking through, at the house through the buyer's eyes. Uh, and, of course, we love Tunnel Road. Uh, the fact that there's always interesting vehicles smashed and rolled at the sides. You know, they didn't know Tano Road. <laughs> Off they went. Uh, and then we have the uh, perfectly mad masseuse I told you about about her on Tano Road who drives very rapidly and so forth. Uh, and uh, this is, and it's, everybody gets to talk, you can always talk about this if you meet with other Tano Road people. It's the latest encounter with the perfectly mad masseuse. 
Um, and so this is just wonderful. And of course, everyone's driveway is that way too. It's a real question as to whether or not she'll be able to get out. And our dri driveway has been that way. Well, suddenly I realized there are people coming here from California. They're not going to accept this kind of driveway. And so I called up my friend, and uh, he brought out his big machines. You know, the things you're not supposed to drive when you take the little pill. <coughs> big machinery. I mean, he's got big machinery. He's got a big road grader, and he's got a backhoe, and he's got a road roller, and he's got those things. Okay, he's got those things parked out there. Now, it's an interesting thing. When you've got big machinery around you, you suddenly think of other uses, <laughs> which is what I did when I woke up this morning. I said, my purpose is is to set the purpose for the day. It is not to think about other uses for the big machinery. <laughs> but I had already thought of two. <laughs> so I said, all right, how am I going to put this thought aside? Yeah. And it took me, oh, 30, 40 seconds to come up with a plan because oftentimes if you'll do something overt, then you can put the thought away. So what I thought was, because see, the, my fear was, well, he's going to come back Monday morning, real early. They're almost finished with the job. And they'll have the big machine mail be gone by the time I'm out there. And this just seemed like a, just the worst tragedy that could befall any human being at, you know, at, when you first woke up. The big machines won't be there. <laughs> All right. So the plan was, as soon as I finished setting my purpose, I was going to go write on a little piece of paper. And I was going to climb up. Did you Have you ever tried to climb up in one of those big machines? I mean, we thought, Dave and I thought that we were smart in Texas because we could mount a horse without stirrups. But I mean, this is nothing. I'm like trying to get into a, a road grader. Have you ever, I don't know how those guys do it. They must take levitation or something. Especially if you're out there in slippers and bathrobes. <laughs> I've never seen a hard hat in slipper and bathrobe. I want to... right. <clears throat> so the plan was, what I was going to do is I was going to go out there and write a little note, you see. Don't move the big machines. They talk to you. And I was going to tape this, tape this on their steering mechanism. Steering mechanism. <laughs> well, that was fine. So I, needed to, I had a plan. I said, I'm not going to think about that now because as soon as I get through saying my purpose, I'll go do that. So that was fine. That took care of the thought. You must do that. You must do whatever you need to do. If you need to write yourself a reminder, whatever it is, if it's something that can be taken care of very quickly, take care of it. But don't allow two purposes to develop during that morning meditation. Keep it clean and pure. Don't worry about one thing while you're doing the meditation. Just do the meditation. This is a tool, that early morning meditation. Keep it sacred. Make it a part of you. Become a person who could not think of arising in the morning without turning your thought to God and setting your purpose. You will also develop 
special tools for special situations. But just a few. And these will become fewer and fewer as you go along. So at night, for example, there is a tendency among human beings to begin projects that they can't finish. Have you noticed this? At night, getting ready for bed, you will start something that you're not going to be able to finish. And you'll get yourself in a state. And you will not get to bed in time. Or you'll get to bed in a worried state. And so you must have a tool for that. You must have a tool for going to parties if you still go to parties. What do you do at a party? You must know what you do at a party in order to keep your peace. Because, of course, you're surrounded by people who are, whose purpose is not the peace of God in most parties. It's a per, they have perfectly innocent reasons for being there. There's nothing harmful about it. But there's this multiple conflicted reasons for being at a party. Maybe... Uh, pleasure, bodily pleasure, it may be to be seen, it may be to voice certain opinions, it can be any number of things, to flirt, to be entertained, to whatever, it doesn't matter, there's all kinds of things, they're all innocent, but anyone who has a purpose other than the peace of God is calling to you, although they don't realize it, to join with them in their purpose, and you will not resist these calls unless you know how you're going to resist them. You can't just walk into a situation like that and expect to come out feeling as close to God as you did when you walked in the situation. So what are you going to do? There's no magic to it. You must develop your own ways. I can tell you some of the ones that help me, but you must have a few simple things that work for you. You must know these and not throw them out and then go try to get someone else's tools and then throw those out and get someone else's and on and on and on. You must have your own. So I know, for example, at a party, not to get involved in long conversations. I just know not to do that. If I get involved in a long conversation, I must slip into my ego. I know that for myself, for my own ego, not to tell stories. If I start telling stories or telling jokes or things that happen to me, I'll slip right into my ego. Those are just a couple of things. I know to have a clear sense of when I'm going to leave the party. Because otherwise I will start longing to leave the party <laughs> very soon. And this is the Complete conflict, a state of complete conflict. So I'm just going to be there, I'm going to be peaceful, I'm going to be happy, and I'm going to see my brother and my sister, I'm going to enjoy being with them until such and such a time. If I have to set my little beep, then I'll set it. Now another one, and I realize that many of you just can't do this because you're not in a situation, Gail and I always go together and we stay physically close to each other. Now, this is just something that we found, and those of you who are beginning to develop a holy relationship with someone, a close friend or a relative or a child or anything, children don't have to talk about this. You don't have to talk about these things with children. But, for example, if your child's at the party and you set your purpose to make your child your first consideration, 
to keep your child happy, that is the same thing. You're keeping mentally, emotionally close to your child, and this will help. Gail and I find it helps to stay physically close to each other as much as possible. We don't make a fetish out of this. Okay, let's, let's close our eyes now. And and just join together. That's all. Let's just join together. We're one self. There's nothing here but God. And so let's forget all of our opinions and differences and see no differences and let's just see Christ. Just peace. Let there be peace. Let there be peace. More and more I'm having difficulty following the notes that I've made. I'll, I'll read the next note and I don't want to talk about that. <laughs> uh, so you help me a great deal when we pause like this and we, we just see what we want to do. And I just want to talk to you about something. Let's just talk about something here. Now, I want to talk about, I tell you, we'll, we'll coin a turn here. I can't think of a word that begins with A that means divine or celestial or absolute. Okay, absolute uh, anticipation. As, we're going to talk about absolute anticipation. Celestial anticipation, divine anticipation, as opposed to anticipating from the present, as opposed to anticipating <coughs> ego anticipation. Now, what's ego anticipation? Well, you start worrying about what you have to do and what's going to happen if you do this and what's going to happen if you've got this to do, and you start cataloging. And we do that, don't we, as we go through the day. The last instant remains unfinished in the average person's life. For example, the garbage hadn't been picked up for a very long time out at our house, and this had happened many times, and the reason I thought was because we put it in the back of our pickup truck, and so they didn't have to pick it up. They could let it go and go and go, and then every once in a while come out. But we'd paid the people to pick it up every week, uh, and so this had become a little bit of a grievance in my mind because I wanted to use the pickup truck to haul and stuff like that, and it was always filled with garbage. So once again, it had been the thing was filled with stuff, and they hadn't picked it up. So in making the phone call to ask them would they please pick up the garbage, I concluded, and the person said yes, and in fact, they did come pick it up, and all that. It, the conversation was satisfactory. Everything about it was satisfactory, but it was left unfinished. Why? Because I was slightly angry when I made the convert, when I made the call during the call. Now, this is the thing that leaves each instant unfinished as we go through the day. There is a there's an ego holdover, a trace. And this is why I gave you the assignment. I realize some of you played hooky uh, last Sunday and uh, didn't get the assignment. But the reason that I gave you this assignment, one of the many reasons is, is to begin identifying this sort of emotion that takes place, that sneaks in suddenly. And I suggested that you become very conscious of conflict every time you're conflicted about doing something. And I suggested that if you could, 
write these down. Now, if this becomes a burden, you don't want to do it. You want to just notice it. But every time you're conflicted, you pull out your little piece of paper and you write down that you are conflicted about this thing until that it just goes off like a bell. Ah, I'm conflicted. And then you stop. Now, I suggest that you not stop, but just to notice it. Stopping comes after you've really begun to notice it. So I realized that I had to let go. I had to finish that instant. And the way I had to finish it was to let go of a little bit of anger. That's just one example. But there are hundreds of these things that take place during the day. So you get up in the morning. So the characteristic at night is that we uh, start things that we can't uh, finish and and we start cataloging. As, toward, as the day draws to an end, we start catalog, cataloging all the things that need to be done. No, notice this. This is a very common human characteristic. To, to do things that are not necessary towards the end of the day so that you're stirred up. To be very stirred up when you get in bed. This is the whole point. And so you start things that can't be done and you think of all the things that need to be done tomorrow and you do unnecessary things. And if you'll do all that, then you can go to bed in a state of absolute turmoil. Now, in the morning, the tendency is for it to be absolute chaos and for there to be everything to be in a rush. And, of course, this is when we have to get the children ready, not to mention the spouse and the breakfast and everything else and the burdens and the, all this stuff. And so the tendency in the morning is not to allow enough time. Time is a luxury. Pour it like rich cream on everything. I can't eat cream now, and so cream is a wonderful analogy to me. The milk of heaven or something. Pour it. Time is a luxury. Give yourself more than enough time to get there. More than enough time to do your shopping. More than enough time to get dressed in the morning. Time is yours. We made it. And so if we made it, we've got all that we want. We can have all the time. What's going to happen? John wants to know what happens when you get to the highest number. Or what is the last number? And uh, he's asked this question. said, what is the last number? And I said, well, there's not a last number because whatever number there is, you can think of one more. But don't the numbers get tired? (laughs) So give yourself time. It's a luxury. Give yourself more than enough time for everything. And in the morning, of course, one of our tendencies is to never give ourselves enough time to make sure that we cut everything so short that we've got to be anxious and driving to work or whatever it is that we're doing. And we're behind. Right from the beginning, we're behind. And so there are these series of little unfinished instances because we didn't bring the peace of God into the instant. It doesn't matter what you do. Remember, All that matters is doing what you do in peace. And so you want to begin having this sense of your day and this sense of your life. You must stand in Christ sooner or later and look at all of this from Christ. Instead of looking at it as this poor body and ego and problems and and I can't figure this stuff out and everybody can do it but I can't do it and it's just hopeless and and I'm just so confused and 
and I'll ask this person's advice, and then I'll ask that person's advice, and I'll read this book, and I'll give up today, and I'll try again tomorrow, and on and on and on. A time comes in which you must realize all of that confusion is taking place in your ego, and you do not have to stand in your ego. You want to look down on your ego, gently down on it. Like you look down on a little baby learning to crawl, or you look down on a little box of newborn kitty cats. Or you look down on this wonderful little anthill and all this busy working and everything. That's the way you want to do. You want to lead your ego as if it were a little blind child that you loved very much. You do not want to hate your ego. You do not want to criticize your ego or wish you had someone else's ego. <laughs> this little child, and here you are, you have to lead this little child out of this house. You're just going to take it to the park. You've got all day to take it to the park. What's a good analogy for heaven? The little park at McDonald's. <laughs> or the merry-go-round looks like a Big Mac. I'm sure that's the way it is, and not all these gold streets and stuff. Don't you know? All right. You've got to lead the blind child out of the house. There are a number of rooms that you've got to go through. There's little halls and so forth. You've got all the time in the world to do this. And so how would you do it? Because the child is blind. And this is unfamiliar territory. And they're scared. There's nothing to be afraid of. You are there. But the child doesn't know that. Can you picture this? This child crying with every step, fretting, saying, no, no, no. We've got to go around this corner now. No, no, no. That's what our ego's like. That's what our ego's like. Your ego thinks it's going with you. It really does. So humor it along. <laughs> humor it, you want to keep it happy. All that's going to happen is, just before you wake up, you will turn around and you will see you don't have an ego anymore. You don't have a body anymore. It's just, you just dis it's just disappeared, that's all. It didn't disappear like it did last night when you assume another body in, uh, in a dream or something like that. It just vanishes like so much unnecessary something that's just brushed away, washed away. And suddenly you just don't have this burden any longer, this little suitcase, because by that time it's a teeny, teeny little suitcase. Now it is 20 duffel bags. <laughs> so that is the way God, the Holy Spirit, your teacher, Jesus, Christ, whatever you wish to call your friend, whatever you wish to call love, whatever you wish to call reality, that's the way the Christ looks at what we made, this body and this ego that we made. It's helpful. When you turn to the Holy Spirit, it is helpful to your body. It's helpful to your life. 
He doesn't give you what your ego wants. He doesn't give you all the riches and everything else that you're, the fame and the physical beauty and the whatever else it may be, the great knowledge and the, all this stuff, special powers, all this stuff. But it, it makes it happy. It makes it peaceful. For you to turn to God for guidance, you get guidance that helps even with what you made. Should you adopt another attitude towards your own body and your own ego than Jesus has? Why? You want to be one with the Christ. One with your teacher. And so treat your body and your ego the same way that God treats you. Treat it the same way and then you are one with Christ. Then you're standing in Christ. And so you look at it very carefully. And you work very hard. Now, can you see how much attention you would have to give to get this little child out of the house? You would work very hard, but it would not be an unhappy work, would it? It would be a delight, wouldn't it, to help this little child who doesn't know how to go out, who hasn't been out and played, who's always been in the house. And you want to take the little child to a park because you know this little child will love to hear the the laughter of the other children. Maybe it would love to feel what it go, feels like to go around on the merry-go-round. Or maybe even slide down a slide. Jerry told me about the first time that he took a blind child up in a plane. The child had never been in a plane before. And what a thrill that was for him. And so is this unhappy work to take this little child out into the sunshine? Of course it isn't, but it is work, isn't it? It is concentration. It takes all of your attention. You can't abandon the child and go run off and do something and then come back and so forth. Can you? Do you see what would happen? The child would get scared and retreat. And so that is the way you want to deal with your ego. You work very hard and you expect very little. I want you to say that. Here's how I'd like you to say it. I will work very hard and expect very little of myself. I will work very hard and expect very little of myself. That's the thing. That's the key. The world's got it upside down. Don't work hard, but expect a tremendous amount. And that's the way we go through life. Never really working. Most people don't even know how to work. Most people have never worked in their lives. They don't know what it means to work hard. And you can't blame them because it's so awful. But spiritual work isn't awful. Learn to work hard, 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 and expect almost nothing of yourself. You're not going to make much progress. And you don't care because all you want is to get the little child just one or two or three steps closer to the door. Very important. And so, of course, your ego is going to get angry. And of course, your ego is going to have an upset. And of course, your ego is going to do this and do that and all this stuff. What difference does that make to you? You're walking home to God. This is the sense you must develop. This is the overall sense of things that you must have. This is a dream. Stop arguing about that. This is not your identity. This little body is not your identity. Don't argue about that. You've heard the truth. 
You come and seek the truth. You know how the truth heals you and blesses you. Then accept the truth. Live the truth. Be the truth. And if the truth that you've heard is not acceptable, then find quickly some way to describe the truth to you. If you don't like the Course in Miracles way of putting it, or the metaphysical way of putting it, or the Christian way of putting it, or the Eastern way of putting it, that doesn't matter. Find the way of putting it that you love and then get down to being it. To being it. So at the dispensable church, we have said this over and over and over again. And if this is the truth you want, then be it. Be the Christ. And stop fighting your body and your ego. Simply look at it in love. Identify with it more, not less. You see, this is the paradox. Most people go through life thinking that they're a body and not identifying with the body. This is why in the 60s it was so helpful for Gestalt therapy and other philosophies of that day to come out with the statement, you don't have a body, you are a body. The reason that was a helpful concept was that people were not compassionate with their own body and their own personality. And so this made them identify more with it. By identifying more with it, as you do with the little child, because you see how you would identify with that little child to get it out of the house, you would look at it. You would see what makes it cry, what makes it scared. You would see how, you, does it help to stop and hug it every once in a while? And so this is what you do. And this is how it will dissolve in light. And so you want this sense, I am going home. I want to know my Father. I want to know God. That is what this day is for. That is what this situation I'm in is for. It's to know God. That's my purpose. You must look at your life. You must look at your day. And you must look at the situation you're in at the instant from this standpoint, or else it will continue to be this hopeless muddle. This overall sense. Now, here's what happens. See nothing, no one, no thing outside of you. Because the truth is true, it leaves nothing outside of it. So there's nothing but oneness and rest and peace. There's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to remember. There's nothing to anticipate. There's only God to be in and of right now. Okay, now people... What happens is that as you begin to have this overall sense of things, of where you're going, and you're standing more and more in Christ and not in your ego, when you're at least saying the words to yourself, I'm not this little body of a few years. 
I am more than that. When you begin standing in the light of God, when you can say, I am the light of the world, and know the truth of those words, then the interesting thing that happens is that you will begin to have a sense of what to do. But it isn't the old what's right to do kind of thing that the ego is so involved in. Ego thinks everything should be clear. If everything were just clear, then we'd be happy. If it was just clear what we should do, if it was just clear what's going to happen, if it was just clear, did we make a mistake or didn't we make a mistake? And there is no answer to that. The world is a mud bath. There's no clarity to it, but there is clarity. And so with the sense of things, the sense of God and the sense of where you're going and the sense of the truth that you now have in your heart which remains unshaken and it's there and you're calling upon this overall sense this view from God this view from peace and love this gentle vision this kind vision this forgiving sight then your day will open, as we've said here before, like a flower, petal by petal. And you go through the day watching each event, giving it your full attention. Giving each event your full attention. Doing it with peace. Not thinking about what you're going to do next because that sabotages this instant. And you will never arrive home as long as you're sabotaging this instant. When are you going to stop sabotaging this instant? Then that's when you'll start going home. So do it now. And so there's a, there are a few things that you can see from this standpoint that will help your ego. There are a few things that would be good to take care of that you can see from Christ just a very few, that if you were to take care of this, this would probably make it easier for you in the future. But the ego gets caught up in all these things that really don't make any difference. And so you just watch that, the little child getting real scared, and you realize all it's important is to take one step. And so you let your day unfold one petal at a time. Watch the petal as it unfolds. Watch what you're doing now. If you are in Christ, there's no question about what to do. All these thousands of things that have to be done. You know how many things we've got on our list that we have to do before we can sell the house? We have got about 70 things. Well, they're not going to be done. The list grows every day. Things that have got to be done before we sell the house. And so, of course, you're not going to get everything done that your ego can think of. It will never happen. The world is composed of problems. There will always be a problem. Every person in this room has a problem at this time. Check in on them. Ten years from now, they'll have another problem. Check on in with them tomorrow. They'll probably have another problem. You have the problem du jour. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you.
one thing that helps me sometimes is just to list all the things I could be worrying about instead of this one. <laughs> and then, as you stand in Christ, you'll have a sense of what needs to be taken care of to keep your ego happy and moving. So those of you who wish to work, let me recommend the little exercise again about noticing your conflict, writing down your conflict. You've got to see it. You'll never escape it until you see it. If you've done a lot of that and now you're sure you've got that, then you can pause and see if you can't let go of the conflict and ask yourself, do I want to do what I'm doing now? Or do I want to do what I'm about to start and then see if you can't walk into it with peace and then look back on it and see if you can't close it in peace. And pass those two things and pass the little tools that we talked about earlier is this growing sense of what this is all about that you are going home. And let that sense now begin to develop this divine, this celestial, this absolute, this loving, this peaceful anticipation. Anticipating from the present because it's in the present that you will walk home. 